1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Ah, at any rate, that's my short answer on that one. <laughs> well, I'm going to catch some backsplash on that. All right, let's see what else we get. A little less political here. Once again, as they said in the 50s TV shows, my lovely young assistants will give... Oh, my goodness. My lovely young assistant gave me something different. Usually it's a sheet of paper. We're moving up in the world. We're getting digital here. <laughs> I've got her laptop with some questions on it. So these are coming directly off of it. Oh, boy. We've got all kinds of them. Here's a good one from Josh. What bullets do you think best for deer with a 243 all right josh we're going to clarify this a little bit i'm assuming you mean the 243 winchester that's the most common one and deer hunting with that boy a lot of people think it's just not up to the task but i don't agree i have taken a lot of deer both whitetail and muley and some pronghorn with a 243 winchester and it's associate the six millimeter Remington, which, well, we'll kind of stay away from it, but it's, they're both throwing 0.24 or four, three inch diameter bullets, but the six millimeter Remington actually can throw it about a hundred feet per second faster than the 243, but the 243 is way more popular. It's a 308 Winchester cartridge neck down to 24. And then there's your 243. Pretty simple. Um, and even though it's not the fastest 243 in the world, it is the most popular. What does it do for deer? Well, it'll throw a 100-grain bullet about 3,000 feet per second. Maybe with a long barrel, you can get 3,100 feet per second out of it. So you're pushing somewhere close to 2,000 foot-pounds of muzzle energy or something, which doesn't really matter all that much because it's not muzzle energy that kills your animal. It's the effect of that bullet striking it. And if you use the right bullet and put it in the right place, a 243 can be a deadly effective taker of deer. In fact, a lot of people will use it on elk. <laughs> now, don't yell at me. I'm just saying what's, what happens out in the real world. It's legal in Wyoming and Montana and Idaho and I think every other state for elk. Maybe not some of the eastern states, but it isn't widely used. But when it is used, they folks who do it seem to have great luck with it. I spoke with one guy who shot 13 6x6 bull elk with a 243 Winchester, and he used 13 shots to do it. How did that happen? Well, he took behind-the-shoulder shots at perfect broadside elk. Once you put that little bullet in there and tear up the lungs and heart, you've got your elk. You just wait for him to expire. Yeah, so that's what he was doing. Now, I wouldn't recommend you go out and just shoot an elk in any which way, you know, a quartering away shot or anything like that with a 243. It has to be perfect. 
And I would recommend pretty much the same thing on whitetail. Although a 243 on whitetail, pretty thin-skinned animal, light-boned and stuff, you want to stay away from the bones, put it right behind your shoulder, tight behind your shoulder. A lot of guys who like neck shots, and I don't. I've covered that before, but neck shots, piece of cake. So, yeah. I, now, what bullet did you just ask? That's what you asked, right? What do you think is best for a bullet? And there, I don't really have a best either. I have tried all kinds of them, had great luck, and crazy. Some of them were even varmint bullets. I can remember taking a 243 deer one time with a, I believe it was a 70-grain Nosler ballistic tip. I was coyote hunting, had a deer tag, deer season was open. It was a perfect shot and everything else. And I took it right behind the shoulder. And oh my gosh, that was more effective than most of my shots on deer with 30 out sixes. I mean, it just is a quick killer because that bullet explodes inside and, and just damages so many and vital organs so quickly that it works out just great. But I don't recommend that because you really have to be sure of your shot with those. So most people are going to be using a cup and core bullet of around 90 to 100 grains, maybe 85 grains. They all seem to kill as effectively as the others. But if you want more penetration, you want a heavier bullet and a more stoutly constructed one. I have found that if I use some controlled expansion bullets, that would be a bonded bullet, a monolithic bullet like a Barnes, or a trophy bonded bear claw, um, gosh, all kinds of them out there that are really built to stay in one piece and not shed much weight. Those will quite often shoot clear through, but they don't necessarily do a lot of damage because they're staying in one piece. They're not exploding like a varmint bullet, and they make a fairly small hole being 24 caliber. But once again, if you put that hole through the vital lungs and heart, you're going to get your game. Um, and I think what most people really appreciate about the 243 Winchester and its ilk, other 243s like that, is how easy they are to shoot. Almost no recoil at all, so you can really shoot accurately, and that is always the crux of the whole issue. It's not so much the size of the bullet and the velocity of that bullet. It's where you put it. All right, great question there. I think a lot of folks are going to appreciate that because there are a lot of folks who like the 243 or would like to get one because of that light recoil. All right, this is from Brad, and he asks, what are your thoughts on game management introducing wolves or other predatory species and their effect on game in places where they did not exist before? In recent years, I assume he means, like he says, central Wyoming. He's got a friend who's upset about it. Okay, yeah, this is the reintroduction stuff with wolves primarily. You don't get too many reintroduction programs with cougars or bears. Black bears are expanding everywhere. I did quite a bit of research on black bears about a year ago. And the interesting thing is about them is that they are naturally expanding their range and or holding steady everywhere that they've ever been in North America. They're just an incredibly successful animal because I think because they're an omnivore. They can make it on vegetation, on meat, on you name it. <laughs> they can eat it. And they're a big, strong animal with very few predators other than grizzly bears. They will kill them and eat them right and left. And if you're a cub black bear, you're in trouble too because the boars will kill and eat you. That's just what bears do. Bears and lions, for some reason, they evolved at the, the big males killing off the young. Strange thing, but it seems to work for nature. Now, wolves are the real issue out west especially. And they're an introduced, reintroduced species because obviously they were all across North America historically. And they were driven out by pioneers, settlers. People don't need wolves around when they're trying to have a milk cow 
<laughs> and some pigs and some sheep and some cattle in the pasture, any of that stuff, because a wolf is an apex predator. They hunt in packs. They are 100, 120 pounds. I mean, they're big, big dogs. And you know how effective a dog can be on taking down game. You know, wild dogs have been big problems for a lot of years in some Midwest states when they run in packs and kill deer. Um, and even small dogs are pretty effective at it. So wolves are the perfection of a dog taking down ungulates like deer and, and elk. So as soon as you reintroduce elk into an area where for generations the elk have grown up with no predators like a wolf, they don't really know what they are or how to defend themselves against them, and the populations just crumple. I mean, it wipes them out. I remember back when they were discussing reintroducing wolves in and around Yellowstone National Park. People were up in arms because the ranchers, of course, didn't want it, and a lot of hunting and hunting outfitters didn't want it, and they were predicting that they were going to lose their outfitting businesses. And they asked one of the biologists in Yellowstone, I'm pretty sure it was somebody who was actually working in Yellowstone, and he was an honest man, and he gave an honest answer. He said, I think you're going to have about a 90% reduction in the elk herd in the, in the fr first, what, 10 years, 20 years, or the introductions, whatever it was. Don't quote me on it exactly, but it's just basically what it was. And a bunch of outfitters are going to go out of business. And that's exactly what happened. I talked to some outfitters who had businesses and they were reporting that their elk herd had plummeted to roughly 90, 90% gone and they couldn't stay in business any longer. And a year or two later, they were out of business. One of them was in Idaho and I knew him quite well. And I had hunted with him and taken some backcountry hunts and we found nothing for game. And I said, what happened to all the elk? And he said, introduced wolves and they're gone. Now, in defense of the wolves, before you, the wolf lovers get after me, yes, wolves evolved with ungulates, deer, elk, sheep, all the native animals in North America were getting along just fine when there were wolves around. But there weren't highways and reservoirs and cities and farms. And we've taken most of the habitat, folks. So you can yell and scream and blame the wolves all you want, and they are definitely killing a lot of animals, a lot of game, but that's what they were designed to do by nature. Man was designed by nature to do what we do, I'm afraid. I mean, we can condemn humans and say we're terrible because we destroy the world for all the other animals, but we're really no different than those animals. I mean, a beaver makes a pond wherever he wants to, and he doesn't worry about flooding out the ground squirrels. And uh, the wolves eat whatever they want. They don't care if it's an endangered species or not. They're going to kill it and eat it because that's what they're programmed to do. We are the only animal who has the smarts and who really cares about other species to make a difference. And blaming wolves for all of our problems is natural, but it's not going to fix anything. I honestly believe that we can have some wolves around, especially in big wilderness Rocky Mountain areas, if they're carefully managed, this idea that we can just turn them loose in there and have them do their thing and everything will be fine because Mother Nature knows best doesn't work anymore because we've changed the playing field so drastically. You I mean, you can't take millions and millions upon millions of acres out of natural habitat and put your cows on them and all the things that we do and then expect wolves and elk and deer and sheep and all the other animals to get along just fine. We've screwed up the system. We've unbalanced what used to be a balance. And we no longer have 20 million or 40 million bison running around to feed these wolf packs. 
It's just a whole different program. Even even salmon, most people don't think about this, but the dams that were put on the streams in the Northwest that prevent the salmon from going upstream and doing their natural thing and the reservoirs that they've created instead of the free roaming streams and stuff have impacted salmon. And that actually impacts wolves, believe it or not. And grizzly bears just seems kind of weird, but the salmon would bring so much fertilizer upstream when they spawned and died and were in that stream system the bears were pulling them out and eating them and then the carcasses would rot on the stream side and all the nitrogen would fuel more plant growth and it just contributed significantly you were essentially using fish to bring the richness of the sea deep into the mountains of idaho sounds crazy but that was a part of the program too. When you really get into studying this stuff, the ecology of the environment and how things work, it's a lot more complicated than we think. So are wolves a problem? Yeah, farmers, ranchers, hunters, they absolutely are. For elk and deer and bighorn sheep, they really are because those are the ones who are being eaten. But if humans can agree to use scientific wildlife management to control the numbers of wolves to keep them in line with the available supply of protein, it can be done. But boy, is it hard to do because of the propaganda that's out there in the popular press. You know, it's like the hunters are the bad guys, wolves are the good guys. Nobody cares about the elk and the deer and whatever's getting eaten because wolves are sexy. They're big and fuzzy and everybody loves wolves. Oh, the poor wolf has been put upon by humans for all these years. We were terrible, terrible people. But nobody seems to mind that yummy steak they get at the at the steakhouse that was raised by somebody who killed the wolves off so that his cow could grow up to produce beef. Ah, at any rate, that's my short answer on that one. <laughs> well, I'm going to catch some backsplash on that. All right, let's see what else we can A little less political here. Can you talk a bit on flat me-plat rifle bullets like the Buffalo Boar rounds for the 4570? Yeah, a lot of folks are going to wonder, what, what are we talking about, a flat me-plat rifle bullet? A me-plat references the flat tip of a rifle bullet. If it's flat and you can see it, it's not coming to a sharp needle-like point, it's a me-plat. I don't know exactly what the derivation of that word is, what it means, but it's it's the flat surface area. So you've seen some bullets like, say, a flat nose bullet for a 30-30. or a They're curved on the nose to a degree, and then they hit a spot where suddenly they just get cut off flat, so they're square-nosed. But they're not straight-walled and square-nosed. Well, what's the significance of that flat nose? Well, it's been said for a long time and it's debated that that prevents firing inadvertently of the bullet tip acting like a firing pin in a tubular magazine, like a lever action 3030 or 4570. So the story is you never use sharp tip bullets in a tubular magazine. They have to have a me plat fairly significant to cover up the primer and not have a sharp point. Then there's plenty of folks who say it never happens. They've done tests and they've recoiled and it doesn't go off. But nevertheless, all bullets in all cartridges made by manufacturers <laughs> for the 3030, the 32-inch special, the 4570, uh, all the old cartridges that naturally came with flat-nosed bullets retain those flat-nosed bullets probably for that reason. Um, 
why were they made flat in the first place? I really don't know. When you go back to bullets in history, the first ones, of obviously, they were round. You got a round bullet, and you shoved it down the bore of your muzzle loader, and you went bang. Not very efficient. Pretty low ballistics coefficient. Well, one day, somebody invented an elongated bullet. And then they came up with a mini ball, which wasn't a ball at all. It was an elongated bullet with a hollow skirt in the back, and it was a little more effective. They were starting to discover the efficiency of a longer bullet. And then they started rounding that nose off to, I suppose, replicate the round nose of a round ball. And at some point, they got flat noses on there. I don't know exactly why, other than that magazine issue is all I can think of. Although some people think they hit harder. As you could think about it, if someone poked you with an arrow and it widened out to a certain dimension or hit you with a flat point on that arrow, it probably hurt more with that flat point distributing that energy. I think that's probably the theory. Of course, with bullets, they expand, they mushroom, they tumble, and all bets are off at that point. But that might have been a contributing factor. They just thought that flat point looked like it would hit like a hammer. So why not? But then, of course the ballisticians came in and started looking at sharp points. And I think the Germans came up with the first spire point bullet uh, or a Spitzer, I think they called it. Well, what they discovered about Spitzers was that that long, sleek nose was like a race car, reduced drag so it could go faster. Well, the bullet only goes as fast as the powder sends it out the barrel, but then it starts to slow down because of drag. And if you have a flat nose on your bullet, it drags more and you're going to lose energy. So you're not going to have more punch at distance. Up close, you probably would. little flat point like that hitting like a fist. But after 100 yards or so, that you start to lose so much energy by pushing the air in front of that flat nose that you're losing the energy on your bullets. So other than that, I really can't think why there's a hugely grand reason to have a flat nose bullet. If you like the idea of that flat nose having more surface area, pushing on the animal and making a bigger hole and all the rest of it. If you think that they kill harder, are more effective, I say go for it. But if you're shooting farther than 100 yards or so, you're going to suffer. Uh, the, the energy just declines because of the air drag. It's just reality. Um, and I think that's why with 4570s, as this gentleman mentioned, they're fine because the 4570 doesn't shoot much for trajectory past 150 yards anyway. They just really start to plummet and lose. Same with the 3030, 30, any of those flat nosed bullets. They're just, if they don't have high ballistics efficiency, they just can't keep going for a long distance. And then, of course, they're also going to suffer in the wind. Uh, as a bullet slows down, the wind has longer time to, to work on it, it deflects more. So it's not what you'd call ballistically efficient. But by golly, if you're a woods hunter or you're getting within 100, 150 yards of your animal and you've got a big flat nose slug like that, you're not going to suffer much and it's probably going to do a grand job. That's what I know about it. Um, if anybody has better answers, I'd sure love to hear it. Hey, this is uh, getting to be the end of our time today. So Ron Spomer here, thanking you for watching, inviting you to subscribe to the channel. Give us a thumbs up if you can. We need all the help we can get here. <laughs> and I love to thank our patrons for supporting us on Patreon. See you next time, everybody. Hunt honest and shoot straight.
brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. A mule there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.